Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's Monday. This last week felt like a hundred years, but I'm so glad that you're tuned in with us to talk about books, right? And today is kind of a departure from our usual novels, and I'm super excited for you to meet Laura March. She's actually a comic book author, and there's a brand new compilation out that we're going to talk about. So thanks for being here today. If you guys have never read Laura yet, it's possible because I think this is her debut comic, but she has quite a background. So let me read her bio for you. Laura Marks is a PIN award-winning playwright, television writer, and comic book writer. Her plays, Bethany and Mine, have garnered acclaim from critics and been published and produced across the U.S. and overseas. For TV, she has written episodes of The Good Fight, The Expanse, Servant, Ray Donovan, The Exorcist, and Brain Dead, and she's currently co-writing a project with Carlton Cuse. Her debut comic series for DC's Hill Hill House Comics, so that's Joe Hill, Um, Daphne Byrne with art by Kelly Jones has been released as a hardcover compilation uh, just this month. And she lives with her husband and two daughters in Brooklyn. And I did put a link to her website right there on the blog talk site. So if you're listening live or listening to a podcast later, you can click that anytime and get to know her a little better. So without any delay, Laura, you there? I am. Yay, I'm so glad you could be here. Your publicist sent me a copy of the book, and oh my gosh, it looks fantastic, and the art is great, and what do you want to tell people about it so they go grab it this week? Oh, well, um, I guess I'll I'll just sort of um, tell you, well, I'll tell you where it's set. It's set in 1886 in New York City, so it's kind of that Gilded Age that Henry James and Edith Wharton wrote about. Um, it's called Daphne Byrne because that's the title character, the main character, Daphne. is um, She's 14 years old, and she's uh, kind of this lonely, misfit girl who has just lost her father, who was the only person who ever really got her. Um, she's an only child, and the other girls at school think she's a little weird because she's... Um, She's an intellectually curious girl, you know, with a scientific mind, um, which was not very cool back then if you were a girl. And uh, her father (laughs) died in disgrace. Her mother can't pay their debts. You know, none of this makes you very popular at school in 1886. Uh, And her mother is not handling the loss of her father very well at all. And she comes home and says, you know, Daphne, I I found a, a medium, a spiritualist, and so we can talk to Papa now. And Daphne goes, Oh, well, you know, I mean, she's a naturally skeptical girl, but she's intrigued and willing to give it a go. Uh, But she gets to the seance and then very quickly um, realizes this is all a scam. But while she's sitting there in the seance, she does have this odd sensation that comes over her that she can't quite explain. It's almost as if some kind of spirit is latching onto her. And then later that night, uh, this young boy comes to her. He's about her age. Uh, he never gives his name, but he tells her, think of me as a brother. And so that's what she calls him. And then he begins to show her this very different world. It's kind of this underworld that exists just cheek by jowl with her own world. And through him and through this other world, she begins to realize that she's far more powerful than she ever imagined. 
And while all of this is going on, Daphne's mother is getting more and more intertwined with this spiritualist group, which turns out to actually have very sinister intentions. So Daphne is struggling to save her own mother while also dealing with this strange entity, this um, this brother guy who's taken up residence in her mind. And she's not really sure, and we're not really sure, if he is some kind of supernatural force, or is he really just a projection of some kind of darkness that was inside her all along, um, which is something I kind of wanted to play with. I think that's always really interesting, those stories when you don't know, um, am I going crazy or am I having a supernatural experience, which <laughs> which is something I think right. all of us have been asking ourselves in 2020, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. So I I wonder, I I write novels, so I but I'm very curious about comics. They want it to be a series also, right? Is is this mm-hmm. gonna be like a, a long running series for you? Oh, I you know, um they were really just intended to be limited series. Um so okay. a six issue comic that could then be collected as a graphic novel, which is what it is now. It's sort of like Pinocchio grew up and became a, a real graphic novel, you know. Um <laughs> so it's a, it's a hardcover uh, that collects these six issues that were published monthly in softcover. Um, and, you know, it's got an open ending, so if we ever wanted to continue it, we certainly could. Um, but also, mm-hmm. I just wanted to write something that would stand on its own um, and just be a fun story. And I didn't know that there were horror comics. Is this new? Is yeah. this a new Joe Hill thing, or has this been going on for a long time? Uh, I think there's been horror comics about as long as there have been comics, but um, but uh, this particular imprint, Hill House Comics, is something that Joe just started fairly recently. So there are, I believe, five titles out now as hardcover compilations of these first five series that he has curated for DC. Um, and it's a wide range of different time periods and settings and sort of sub-genres of horror, but they're all horror and they're all... Um, I gotta say, I think they're all pretty. I'm I'm in some really good company. Joe wrote two of the titles. Uh, M. R. Carey wrote one of them, and then Carmen Maria Machado wrote one of them. And she, like me, is a first-time comic writer, so we have uh, bonded a bit over that. <laughs> nice. And uh, have you ever written? I when I was reading your bio, most of the TV shows I think are contemporary time period. Have you ever written a historical before? How how was the research hole for that? <laughs> oh, the research was so fun. I mean, that's really, um, you know, when when this opportunity came about, and I should sort of explain. So this happened. Um, because I was working in a developmental room um, for a show that actually didn't end up happening. But through that, I ended up meeting Joe Hill and getting to know him and reading this series that he wrote called Lock and Key, which is a beautiful graphic novel series of very character-driven horror about a family, you know, a lot of amazing, fantastical elements, but also very dark and scary. Uh, And that really ignited something in me, uh, like, wow, I see that, that comics are a fantastic vehicle for this kind of horror, this kind of really kind of rich, elevated, character-driven horror. And, and gosh, I would really like to write something like that one day in this medium. Um, and as luck would have it, some months later, Joe just emailed me out of the blue and said, hey, have you ever thought about writing a horror comic? Um, because I'm curating this new line for DC, and what do you think? And, you know, instantly it was a, oh, my God, yes, of course, I would love to. Um, let, let me see if I can come up with an idea really quickly. And the first thing I thought of was a, was doing something, period, because um, 
like you said, that's something I've never gotten to do in television, but always kind of wanted to do because a lot of what I love to read is is 19th century writers. Um, I'm a huge Bronte fan, and um, you know, um, M.R. James ghost stories, and you know, um, I I just sort of I love a lot of those writers, and and I think they're fun to read. So. Um, so I thought, well, this is the perfect chance to get this out of my system because I'm always a little hesitant to pitch something, period, if I'm trying to come up with a TV idea because people say, oh, it's going to be really expensive. You know, you got to right. hire the horse and carriage <laughs> and sew the bodice and whatever. Um, but in comics, nothing costs any more to draw than anything else. So I thought this is perfect, plus it would be a really um, rich visual world for an artist to dig into. And as luck would have it, they paired me with this artist, Kelly Jones, who is a DC Comics legend. He's done a lot of really iconic work on Batman and Swamp Thing, and then a bunch of fantastic horror work as well. So um, he is like this old school, like, um, does these incredibly rich, detailed uh, backgrounds. Every panel is just chock full of detail and subtext and, and just so I, I can't even imagine a better artist for this story. Um, so he was like, yes, I'd love to do something in that world as soon as he read the pitch. Um, and then and then we were off and running. Well, not exactly because I had to think, well, what, what kind of character do I want to write about? What kind of story do I want to write? <laughs> um, <laughs> but really the setting came first and then it was like, oh, well, I know exactly what I want to write in this setting. I want to write... Um, I think my favorite kind of protagonist to write actually is uh, kind of an anti-heroine, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I love a female protagonist who carries the whole story on her back and has a really big high-stakes problem. Um, But if she's a little little messy, I think that's really fun, you know? Like, you're not quite sure is she a heroine or maybe like a little bit of a monster. Um, And... Uh, so I wanted to do a version of that, but, but, you know, highly sympathetic and you're rooting for her and you're feeling for her and all of that, uh, hopefully. Um, and this, uh, this is a younger protagonist than I've ever written before, but I have two teenage girls in the house right now. So it seemed like uh, kind of a natural fit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I love the, um, I, I got my start in horror and then branched out towards more paranormal romance, but I love the, that time period is the perfect for spooky things because they didn't have quite as much science to debunk things and you didn't have to worry about getting rid of cell phones or mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. that kind of stuff. So did you get to play with that, with the spookiness just of that time period? I think of something wicked this way comes. You know, everyone yes. was so innocent and anything could be real back then, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, well, the quality of light is different. You know, you just have such great, um, you know, you have gaslight, you have candlelight. Um, and, uh, and another thing that was useful is the way that, um, you know, I wanted to write a story that was kind of about female rage in a way. And mm-hmm. you look at a woman in the 1880s, she's got a lot to be pissed off about, you know? I mean, right. <laughs> I mean today we but do no also. Outlet. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, you know, a 14-year-old mystic girl, yeah, she can't, like, go online and find her tribe. I mean, she really is just completely isolated. Um, So, you know, just the rules that they had to abide by and the stuff they had to wear and and the sort of uh, mold of conventional femininity they had to fit into, and also the fact that they just didn't have the ability to 
earn money and take care of themselves. And I mean, at one point in the book, Daphne wants to check out a library book. They won't even let her do that. So um, I think that the uh, the setting kind of helps you, at least it helps me, um, empathize with her more because you see what she's up against. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I just think things look things look cool in that environment, you know, um, the way Thank that you. Kelly, yeah, the way that he draws that world, it's kind of just seductively beautiful. And so then you have all this sort of over the top luxury and right next to it, you've got just horror and gore and, and, uh, whatever's going on in the street. And I think those juxtapositions are really fun. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I always ask uh, when people are on, because it's so interesting, everyone's different background that led them to, becoming a a writer and for you did you always know did you always go I want to write a tv show or you know what led you down this path what did it look like for you oh that's funny well weirdly I think even before I could really read I knew I wanted to be a writer um because my mom would read me the you know the peanuts comics and I was like, well, what's Snoopy doing with the typewriter on top of the doghouse? And she explained it to me. <laughs> and as soon as I understood that that was a job, I was like, that's my thing. You know, <laughs> like you were going to grow up and be Snoopy. <laughs> I was going to grow up and be Snoopy. What could be better than making up stories in your head and writing them down? Um, uh, however, um, you know, it's hard to sort of believe that you can really pull that off. Um, so... As luck would have it, I knocked around doing a lot of things. I was an actor for a while. I worked at a bunch of survival jobs, ended up in New York City. And um, and uh, it wasn't really, strangely, it wasn't until I was pregnant with my first child um, and I was you know, momentarily sidelined from acting. And this friend of mine who was a director said, you know, you should really write a play. I mean, you're always writing, and, you know, you, the theater is a world unit. Why aren't you writing a play? You're pregnant. You're not going out for any auditions except Palmer's Cocoa Butter commercials, you know. And, um, <laughs> and so I was like, well, yeah, okay. And, and, and then suddenly it was like a, a light switch flipped, and I was like, of course, this is what I was always supposed to be doing. Why was I wasting my time doing anything else? <laughs> this, is, this is exactly it. Um, so I started writing in earnest, and, and I think it's probably not a coincidence that it happened around the time I became a mom because um, I just love to write about really high-stakes situations, and when you become a parent, the stakes in your life immediately become so much higher. You know, you've, yeah. you've got this uh, little creature that's dependent upon you that you've got to take care of and protect, and it just reorganizes your whole world. And And for me, it just unlocked something where I was suddenly accessing the kinds of stories I wanted to tell that felt screen-worthy or stage-worthy or, in this case, comic-worthy. Um, and then it was all about writing plays for a while. Um, I went to graduate school here in New York for playwriting. And um, and then I wrote this one play. Um, I guess I, a lot of the plays that I've written uh, tend to be more kind of... Um, thriller or or something in that you know I like a high stakes situation as you know um but I wrote this one play that was a little more psychological horror and then people kind of looked at that and went huh it's a genre piece I bet she could write television so um I think a lot of playwrights are getting recruited to write for television these days and uh it's lovely because it comes with health insurance which is great um yeah I know (laughs) Playwriting doesn't come with health insurance. It it gives you the lovely instant gratification of a live audience, but um, but <laughs> but health but insurance is really health important. insurance is yeah, it's pretty <laughs> sweet. So, um, 
so uh, so yes, I joined the ranks of playwrights writing for television, and um, my first uh, staffing job was on this show called Brain Dead, created by the the Kings, who created The Good Wife and later The Good Fight, which I'm also working on now. And it was a horror satire um, about Washington D.C. in which alien bugs were eating the brains of the U.S. senators. Um, so <laughs> that was just a hilarious sort of freewheeling introduction to the world of TV writing. And it was so much fun to sit around that table every day, making up stories with people. Uh, you know, I would come home and I would go, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad I get to do this. Um, and I still feel that way. I still, I still love just sitting around a table and collaborating with a bunch of other writers and making up stories and writing them on whiteboards and then going away and hashing it out and writing a script. It's, uh, it's a it's a fun it's a fun way to work. Although, you know, this comic, while it's also collaborative because you're working with an artist and editors and a colorist and a letterer and all that stuff, um, it was much more of a solitary process. Like go away into your right. into your cave and come back with something, um, which was also right. a nice change of pace. Yeah, wasn't it fun to you get to be God and you don't you don't have all that extra input? It's just your baby. Was that fun for you? Uh, it was, it was, um, because in TV, you know, you um, listen, even if you're the showrunner and it's your show, you know, you are always going to be beholden to the network notes and the studio notes and what the star thinks and, you know, and also just the vagaries of, of production, like, oh, crap, it rained and we didn't get to get that scene. Um, so, yeah, to have something where it could just really be my own voice unfiltered um, through any of that was really, really enjoyable, which is why I did it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I write novels, and I really enjoy, you know, all the power, the godlike power of creating your world and all your stuff. <laughs> yeah. And when you talk about TV writing, I always cringe. I'm like, oh, having 10 other people have a say in my thing, no. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, and can but, rewrite you freely, which is great if they're they're doing a good job, and they usually do. But, um yeah, it is it is a very different experience. It's a it's a bit like Zen sand paintings, I suppose, although I've never made a Zen sand painting, but this idea of just I'm just gonna make it as beautiful as I possibly can, knowing that the wind will blow it away and that's okay, you know. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I still feel a tremendous pride of ownership in, in anything that I've contributed to on T V, whether it's you know, in a way that was big or small. Um, you know, whether your name is on it or not. Um it's it's great fun to collaborate with with people, especially once you get involved in production and you're you're really seeing the actors say your words. That is pretty exciting. Yes, I would think that would be really cool. My just getting audio books and hearing them, you know, bring the characters to life of my novels is like, mm-hmm. whoa, what is that? But you you just you're like, wow, I didn't even realize that was in there, but there it is. So I amazing. can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine being a playwright. That must have been so cool to see your stuff up there and get the instant, you know, audience reaction to it would be fantastic. I mean, fantastic and and terrifying. Um, you know, like well, I I felt so much more exposed <laughs> sitting in an audience as a playwright than I ever felt as an actor, no matter what I was doing up there. You know, it's it's really like, oh Jesus, people are seeing the inside of my brain. This is this is bad. <laughs> I never thought about it that. That's true. I never have to sit there when readers are reading my books. So. No, never. But what if you were like on no, the subway I've never and you looked sat over there. and somebody was reading it, you know, like. 
Yeah, that would, would you be go awkward. up to them and say, "Oh, hey, that's me," or would you just sort of wasn't that away? part funny? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did that, that part scare weird. you? Oh. <laughs> oh, when I was just starting writing, I had a friend who was uh, much more experienced than I, and. It, I would rush about details and things when I was writing and the editors would always nail me on it. And I was complaining one day and she gave me this amazing advice that said, you don't get to travel with your book. (laughs) You can't tell people what it meant. I'm like, Oh, that is some dynamite advice. (laughs) That is a really, that is a really good point. Yes. I, I feel like, you know, I mean, we all get notes as writers in whatever medium we're working in and there is always that, like, oh, oh, they just don't get it kind of response that, right. you know, your, your inner child <laughs> wants to have or whatever. <laughs> but but there's almost always a reason that they're giving that mm-hmm. note. And even if they can't articulate exactly what it is, there's something there to dig in and find. And, and yeah, I mean, people people know. Yeah, I totally feel right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They they don't know why, but something mm-hmm. something's not right right there. I, yeah. yeah, I agree. So, what is it? What's next for you? Did you have so much fun that now you're going to write more comics, or what's next on your schedule? Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I did have a great time, but um, but you know, it would have to be the stars would have to align just right, I suppose. But um, I'm going back into the writers' room for the Good Fight, which is this um, show on CBS All Access that I worked on the past couple of seasons. Uh, it's a spinoff of the Good Wife, but it's um, because it's for streaming and not network. It goes to some much more inventive uh, and elaborate places, I think, than, than its right. parent show. Um, so that's mm-hmm. great fun to work on. And um, and I just finished uh, a stint working on Servant, which is this, um, speaking of horror, this M. Night Shyamalan-produced uh, show that is on Apple TV+. Plus. So um, the second season of oh, that fun. hasn't come out yet. The first season aired. There, the second season had to take a hiatus due to COVID, but um, so we were writing the third season, which Lord knows when that'll come out, because uh, they stopped releasing right. the season. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, developing uh, some other TV projects and what have you. Um, I'm co-writing this project uh, with Carlton Cuse, which I can't say too much about, but if it goes, it would be so great. Um, funnily enough, it's also about a teenaged girl in a fantastical world, but it's much more hopeful than uh Daphne Byrne not nearly as dark um but uh but yeah so i guess it's it's mostly um mostly tv stuff to keep that health insurance going um right. and uh yeah <laughs> but but Daphne Byrne was so much fun to work on with Kelly and 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 you know i have to also give a shout out to Michelle Madsen our colorist i think that she just nails the colors of that period so well and, you know, Rob Lee, the letterer, you know, I hadn't realized how impactful all of these different elements are until you're actually working with these folks and you realize, oh, gee, now that I'm seeing that line in the lettering, I mean, it doesn't quite look right against the picture. I think I need to rewrite that line, you know, um, how mm-hmm. all of these different elements come into play in a, in a medium that is just, that is so visual, so much more so than, than just prose. Um, but, I mean, I guess screenwriting is very visual, too, and that was what was super exciting about comics is that it's almost like you're getting to storyboard your screenplay in a way, um, and um, you get to specify what goes in every panel, and, you know, you can even 
have a dialogue with the artist about what angle and this and that. And so um, it kind of felt at times like I was getting to direct as well as write, which was so exciting. And that, and I oh, have this amazing cool. cinematographer in Kelly Jones who was rendering it uh, and, and that Kelly was also all of the actors in the piece because, you know, <laughs> he was giving whatever expression needed to be on Daphne's face and her mother's face and this and that. And um, because he's so good at that, I feel like we were able to work in a little bit more of a filmic style than perhaps I would have with another artist because I could be like, Kelly, I just want, I don't want her to say anything. I just want it all to be on her face. And he'd be like, okay, I got you. Um, and he could, he could draw that. And, um, you know, those are some, some of my favorite moments on screen. It was fun to be able to play with that in comics as well. That's so interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. But when you're writing a comic, do you have to write out a separate, like, character sheet of how you're envisioning these people look? Or does the artist get to decide how they look? Because I'm guessing in the small word count you have for a comic, you're not spending it going, she has brown hair, green eyes, and she's wearing a black turtleneck, right? Right. Or do you have a separate sheet with that? (laughs) No, I mean, the script can be much longer than the actual comic if you want. I mean, Neil Gaiman's scripts are incredibly long because he gets really just encyclopedic about what's, you know, in every panel. Um, You can describe as much as you want. Um, I feel like with somebody of Kelly's caliber, I wanted to give him a lot of leeway to let his creativity, you know, run riot. But what I did love doing was the period research, and I sent him pages and pages of, like, this is what her hair could look like if you want, you know, or here's another version if you uh-huh. like this better. Uh, this is what she might be wearing. Um, this, is, this is what the room might look like. Um, this is what girls wore for their periods in 1886, you know. I had to, <laughs> had to look that up. Um, uh, that's one of the more horrific things in my horror comic. Um, and, uh, yeah, so really it's it's – it's down to Kelly for the most part, but I just, we both shared this feeling of wanting to be as historically accurate as possible, albeit with poetic license, of course. Right. Right. With monsters and things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. With monsters and things, but the monsters are also of course, historically accurate. (laughs) (laughs) So, so while it's, uh, I've been asking people, you know, how you're dealing with writing during a pandemic and all that, and you have TV writing. I mean, do you guys all just Zoom now? Do you all work from home, or how how is that working out for you? Yep, it's all over Zoom. In fact, working for Servant, um, the entire job was conducted over Zoom from start to finish. Um, wow. Oh, God, this is going to be weird because, you know, it, writing collaboratively it's a pretty intimate experience and I feel like a lot of it arises from those little in-between moments when you're eating lunch together or just sort of kibitzing you know before work starts um there's less of that with zoom however I was surprised how quickly we were able to kind of feel that same kind of intimacy even though most of us had never met in person uh it was kind of cool actually I guess I guess you just sort of once you're doing the work together you just you have to be intimately involved <laughs> there's really no choice right so it just sort of right. falls into place um and uh yeah and good fight is also going to be over zoom at least that's how we'll start and who knows when um, normal life will resume i don't know i just heard right. some news about a vaccine today so um yeah i saw that too i was like oh but then i guess it still needs more trials and then they have to figure out how to make enough for everybody and i'm like dang it it's gonna be a long yeah. time still 
<laughs> yeah, boy, this year, 2020 has been all about tempering expectations, hasn't it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. Let me just not get too excited about anything. Let me just, you know. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, but still, I'll, I'll take a little bit of encouraging news. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely different. And, um, you know, um, I got to say, I, I have the greatest respect for the, the novelists like you who – have to be more kind of self-starting every day and um, manage their own discipline um, because, you know, TV writing, there's a little bit more of an imposed schedule, which makes things easier in a way, you know? Right. And deadlines are the only thing that <laughs> makes sure things happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, very, very true. And sometimes the tighter deadline, the better, you know, sometimes that can be a real gift. Um, right and yeah and and complications or restrictions of any kind I think are a perverse kind of gift when you're trying to come up with something I mean comics the the strangest restriction there was that each issue had to be exactly 22 pages Um, so you know you might be writing your script and you're like oh damn I'm on page 18 I've got so much more to do (laughs) okay hang on I gotta I gotta look at this all over again um so, and you want, this is a fun thing about comics that I never would have guessed, but thankfully, you know, Joe Hill and all the great editorial team at DC, they were very generous with their guidance and information. Um, they said, you want to have, um, if possible, anything that's really surprising or an oh my God moment, put that on an even numbered page. Because um, as you're flipping through, you might see an odd numbered page casually but you won't see an even-numbered page until you've actually turned the page all the way over, and then you go, ah, you know. Um, so it's that's oh, where you funny. want to put your surprises. Yeah. Um, it's to give the reader, as they're physically interacting with the book, that, that visual and visceral experience. Um, so there's all that stuff to kind of plan out as you're positioning the story on those 22 pages. Um, and... Uh, in a weird way, I, you know, I feel like sometimes those kinds of rules and restrictions can make your job easier because you don't have as much space to sort of twist in the wind and and worry about how to end something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because the ending is happening now. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're running out of time, but it has been so much fun to have you on here and give us like the behind the scenes of comics. And I've seen it, the comic, and it's so fantastic. So everyone needs to go and grab Daphne Byrne and it's on Amazon and probably at Barnes and Noble and everything too, right? Yep. Yep. Or bookshop. If you want to support your local bookseller, I'm sure they would be grateful for any support during this time. I think Amazon's sure. probably been okay. You know, it's like right, COVID is right, a good time to be Amazon, but, um, but yeah, the true. independent bookshops are, are really needing our support right now too. Yes. And I did put a link to Laura's website right there, so click on that, and that has buy links also for the um, graphic novel. And thanks so much for being here. It was great talking to you. Oh, lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.